Uh, this morning we'll be in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, looking at verses 13 through 16. At my former church, I had several members of the local volunteer fire department. And whenever there was uh, an, an alarm that went off, they had uh, these radios they carried with them uh, on their belts. And whenever the uh, call would go out, these things would start beeping. And it wouldn't be uncommon to be in the middle of a church service or another church function, and these radios would start going off. And immediately, those firefighters, those first responders, uh, would jump up and take off, ready to face whatever obstacle they had to, to help others that were in times of need. This morning we are reading in 1 Thessalonians about Paul and his gratitude for the church there in Thessalonica that when the call went out from him to those folks, they accepted that call. They were ready to, to answer that call and they were willing to face whatever obstacles they needed to face so that they, they might be able to take that message, that good news of Jesus Christ to those who were in spiritual need. And I think their example for us today, for each and every one of you, is that you are to accept God's truth in spite of the inevitable opposition you will face. The message there is plain for us. We must follow their example. We must accept God's word as truth and be willing to face whatever obstacles, inevitable obstacles, that we will face as an example of accepting God's word as truth. With that being said, I want to invite you to stand if you are able to this morning. We want to do this in reverence for the reading of the holy word of God. Reading from second or first Thessalonians chapter two, starting at verse thirteen. Here Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, they are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open up the Bible this morning, we will have the same conviction that the Thessalonians had. As they hear this word, they will not receive it as the word of men, but I pray we receive it as the word of God. So Father, open up our ears. Open up our hearts. Father, transform us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, my earnest prayer today is that there is someone here that is not born again by your grace. I pray that through the power of your word and through the moving of the Holy Spirit who is present here today, I pray, Lord, that you would bring new life, a new birth, a new beginning through faith and through trust and surrender to the Lord Jesus. 
God, we thank you for your word. We come with expectation, ready to hear from you and obey you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You all may be seated. As we begin to move through this letter of 1 Thessalonians, working our way through this uh, verse by verse, we're going to see a lot of familiar themes come up that appeared in the book's introduction. In chapter 1, as Paul was writing to that church, and he was very thankful for their response to the gospel, and he was very thankful that they were persevering in the midst of of trial, Paul begins to unpack uh, these themes more thoroughly as the letter unfolds. Today he's talking about how they responded to the message as Paul and Timothy and Silas appeared there in that Greek city uh, several months prior to Paul's writing this letter and has how they preached the gospel. And there were those that were there in that city that heard the message and they, and they quickly responded to that message. And Paul was so grateful for their response. And I think that when we think about uh, responding to the gospel, the first thing we need to do is praise God for the word's reception. We've got to give praise to God. We are to express gratitude for the gospel being accepted and being received by those who do receive it. How is the gospel then received? First of all, it is through preaching for exaltation. Exaltation for joy and satisfaction in God. Verse 13, Paul says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, you received it as such. Paul didn't say, I am so grateful that you all had enough sense about yourselves. I am so grateful that you all were so good and you all were so holy that when the word was preached, you all latched on to it. No, Paul said, we thank God that you responded in this way. Because it is a supernatural reaction. A person will not take this book as God's word unless God first moves in their heart and opens their minds to accept it as such. It is by grace alone that a person comes to that conviction. And that's why Paul begins all of this talk by saying, we thank God for what he has done in your church. We thank God. And it is by exultation for joy and satisfaction in God that preaching of the gospel takes place. But next, we receive the gospel through preaching by exposition. Exposition. That means to expose hearers to God's word. It's not our word. Paul didn't come preaching his own ideas. So let me tell you all what I think. Paul came preaching God's word, and that is by exposition. We expose hearers to what God is saying. Verse 13, Paul says, We we thank God constantly that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. So exposition takes place, first of all, through an explanation of the truth. Paul was explaining to them God's word. Paul was speaking God's truth to them. So in order for exposition to take place, there must be an explanation of the text at hand. What is being said in these verses? And why is it important? There has got to be some sort of explanation. We've got to understand what the author was saying. 
What was Paul saying to this church? And if this is God's word, what is God saying to us? Because we can't come to our own ideas about what this means. Say, well, I think it means this, I think it means this. We're both right. No, it means what Paul meant for it to say. And so we understand, we put the text in its context, and we explain the truth. Paul was preaching the word of God to them. Remember when Paul was talking earlier about preaching to that church, he was talking about, uh, in, in chapter 2 there, verse 2, talking about the boldness in our God that we had to speak to you. Then in verse 3 he says, Our exhortation does not come from error or impurity, or by way of deceit. The reason why Paul had so much boldness is because he believed what he was saying was God's word. What he was saying was free from error. What he was saying was pure. And because Paul had that conviction about God's word, he could preach with boldness. Because he wasn't preaching his own word. He knew he wasn't preaching error. Because it was God's word. God cannot err. God cannot lie. God cannot be wrong. And so likewise, when we preach what this book says, we are preaching a word that is pure. We are preaching a word that is free from error, and therefore we preach with boldness because it's not our word. It's God's. And if it is God's, it carries His authority. An explanation of the truth, but also an exhortation to the truth. That means an application. That means taking what's being said and challenging the audience to apply it in their lives. You can't have exposition of God's Word unless you are challenging folks to react to what God's Word is saying. So the whole purpose of the Bible is not to just fill our heads with some sort of knowledge and trivial facts. The purpose of the Bible is God speaking so that those who hear would respond to it so that our lives and our thoughts would be transformed our, our desires would, would begin to, to morph into his desires and our lifestyles would reflect what he wants them to reflect that's the purpose of the word of God that's the purpose of exposing people to the Bible that they would understand it and then live it out that's what the Thessalonians did verse 13 he says we thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of God, but for what it really is, the word of men. Back in chapter 1, Paul talks about when they received the word. In verse 9, he says, You turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Paul was talking about there was a change in their lives. When the word of God was preached, they were challenged to accept it. And when they did, their lives were changed. All true preaching is for life change. It's not just to impart some facts. It's to impart the faith so that God's people would live a life that pleases Him. The word's reception is through exposition. And finally, preaching ought to be with expectation. An expectation. What do we expect to happen when God's word is truly preached? At the end of verse 13, Paul said, which also performs its work in you who believe. 
So it's saying that God's Word is powerful. That when God's Word is truly preached, something supernatural takes place. When God's Word is clearly exposed and, and people are challenged to accept it and, and to be conformed to it, that something divine happens. We believe and we expect the Word to work, and Paul said, in those who believe. So when the power of Word is combined with a living faith, gospel transformation happens. And every time we gather as a church body, we ought to gather with a sense of expectation so long as God's Word is being preached. Now, if it's my opinion and my thoughts, you shouldn't expect anything from that. But if I am preaching what God says in this Word, we should expect something supernatural to happen. Preaching with an expectation by the way, as a pastor, it is my joy to know that I shepherd to and I preach to a congregation that shares this same conviction. That this book is God's Word. That this book is God's authoritative message to us. That this book is free from error. That this book is holy and powerful. That's my conviction. That's your conviction. And you know, there's a lot of churches in this nation today that's not their conviction. You've got people standing in the pulpit. They don't believe that. They don't believe this is the Word of God. They don't believe it's free from error. They don't believe it's authoritative. They don't believe we are called to transform our lives underneath its Word and its message. That's why you've got so many powerless churches today, so many dying churches today, so many churches that are, that are following and teaching heresy today, but not this church. And I am grateful for that because I know that this church is a rare breed in that regard I've been talking about preaching and you might say well that's fine and good for what you're doing but what about me I'm not a preacher you know what yes you are if you are a Christian you have been given a message a message from God you have been told to go and take this message wherever you go take the name of Jesus with you to a world that's lost and dying to people that have no hope that people whose lives reflect anything but gospel transformation. People that are snatching and grabbing at all these little gods in their lives trying to find satisfaction but coming up empty and hollow. You have been given this message to proclaim. The word preach, it means to herald. That means the, to go before the king and to cry out and to give the message. We're all called to do that, aren't we? We're called to witness to others. And so when you witness, witness with exaltation and with joy. Witness by exposition, by explaining the Scriptures and by exhorting people, calling people to respond. Don't just tell them Jesus says, say Jesus says, and you need to follow Him. <laughs> That's exhortation. And you are to witness with a sense of expectation, believing that what you are saying is the gospel is the power of God to save those who would believe. And so praise God for the word's reception. Yeah, Paul was talking to this church and he spent a short period of time with them. And in that short period of time, they heard the message, they responded. But you know what? Not everybody is that way. 
And Paul understands this reality, and, and he knows that church is facing that obstacle. Not everybody hears and responds to the word right away. Not everybody hears and responds to the word at all. In fact, some people are opposed to the message of the gospel. So Paul writes not only saying that we should praise God for the word's reception, we ought to prepare for the word's rejection. That there will be some that you will encounter in this life that will reject the word of God. They will oppose it with ferocity. First of all, Paul talks about opponents who are devoted to harm. To harm, verse 14, he says, the reason why he knows, he says, the gospel, the power of the word of God, it, it performs its work in you who believe. How do you know that, Paul? Verse 14, for you, because you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God. You endured the same sufferings as they did. Your know, opposition is a is a is actually it's a good sign. When you find yourself being opposed for your beliefs and for your faith and for your message of Jesus Christ, it's a good sign. It's a sign you are a part of the family of God. Because what do we see Paul saying here in verse 14? He says, you brethren, that's a, that's a family term. We are brothers. He says, you became imitators of the churches. Who do these churches belong to? They're the churches of God. Churches of God who are in Christ Jesus. There, there is a fellowship there. He says that the Word of God has transformed you. You are, you are imitating those true churches who have gone before you, and you have also endured the same sufferings as they did. There is fellowship in suffering for the gospel. In fact, there is a sense you ought to expect opposition. When you begin to walk in a, in a Christian walk and you begin to tell other people about Jesus, you should expect there to be some folks that are opposed to that. Not everybody's so excited about having their lives changed because they don't see the need. They don't think that they have a problem. If they do, they believe, well, something else can fix that problem, but surely not surrendering underneath the authority of King Jesus. We should expect that there will be those devoted to harm. That's the, that's the basic pattern. Paul says, you are imitating those churches. They suffered and now you are suffering. And Paul says, that's how we know the gospel's at work in you. Because there's people resisting it. If everybody was embracing it, then maybe your message is not the true word of God. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God in, in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. You endure the same sufferings, but notice who it was from, the hands of your own countrymen. Sometimes those who oppose us and stand to harm our gospel cause are those who are the closest to us. Our fellow countrymen, our own neighbors, maybe even people in our own families, they look at us like we're a bunch of weirdos, a bunch of Jesus freaks, a bunch of holy rollers. They begin to poke fun of our faith, begin to talk about us, criticize us. If not suffering physical persecution, emotional, 
Psychological persecution. It's alive and well, folks. If you haven't had any persecution in your life, maybe you haven't had enough gospel of God coming out in your life. There are opponents that are devoted to harming the gospel cause. Verse 15, Paul describes these opponents as hostile. He says they've got a, they've got a history of resisting the authority of God. Verse 15, he's talking about the Jews. He says, the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. They drove us out. He's talking about the Jews and the role they played in the crucifixion, which, by the way, it wasn't just the Jews. The Gentiles, the Romans were involved in that. And that lets us know that Jesus is a universal Savior. who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Even in the Old Testament, they were resisting the authority of God's message. They didn't like to have their their toes stepped on. And he says they even drove us out. We read that in Acts chapter 17, the account of Paul preaching there in Thessalonica. Jews got upset and they caused a big riot. Paul left the coast to Berea. And guess what? The Jews in Thessalonica, they go to Berea to oppose Paul. They're hostile to the things of God. He says they're not pleasing to God. They're they're hostile to all men. To reject the gospel and to prevent the gospel going out means you are hostile to those whom the gospel is trying to reach. If you're contrary to God... You're contrary to the best interests of your fellow men. Paul says there's opponents that are described as hostile. They are not pleasing to God. And by the way, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're not living in the Spirit by the power of the Spirit, you're in the flesh. If you're in the flesh, you cannot please God with earthly ambitions earthly desires it's got to be from heaven it's got to be spiritual opponents described as hostile verse 16 these opponents are determined to hinder they don't want to hear the gospel and they don't want anybody else to hear the gospel verse 16 he says hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles and the reason why Paul was speaking to the Gentiles was so that they may be saved the gospel message is, is one in which we are seeking for souls to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the judgment that is to come. And Paul goes into that here in just a minute. But our, our whole reason for witnessing and preaching and telling other people about Jesus Christ is because we desire for them to be saved. We care enough about people to tell them the truth. There's a problem you got called sin and you can't fix it. And that problem got, that, you, that you got called sin, it, it's fatal. The prognosis is terrible. And if, there's no, if you do nothing about it, you will die in your sins. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus will save you from that. If you come to God on His terms, through trusting in Christ, you will be saved. Paul says there are those who oppose the gospel so much they don't want you to believe it and they don't want you to share it. They don't want anybody else to hear it. We should expect that. Opponents determined to hinder. And finally, Paul 
shares the truth that these opponents are destined for hell. Verse 16, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved with the results of this opposition. They always fill up the measure of their sins. It's, it's the idea of a cup, you know, and, and you're pouring something into that cup. It's got a limit to it, doesn't it? You can only hold so much. And Paul says those who resist the Word of God they're pouring their sin into this cup. And it is filling to the point of overflowing. Paul says they fill up the measure of their sins. They are adding sin. They are adding to their own guiltiness before God. He says they fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost or to the fullest. Notice he says, wrath has come. People don't want to hear about the wrath of God. They always want to hear about the, the love of God. They want to hear about the forgiveness of God. And this is true. But the love of God would not be the love of God if it were not for the wrath of God. The forgiveness of God would not be the forgiveness of God if it were not for the wrath of God. Why do we need to be forgiven? We need to be forgiven because there is a just God, a holy God, who must punish sin. If He is good, sin must be punished. If God is good, evil must be atoned for. If God allowed evil to go unchecked and just swept it under the rug, He's not a good God. The God of the Bible is known as a loving God because He has done something about this sin problem. And that something is God took the initiative to save us from this sin even though none of us deserve it. God said, I love you and I'm going to send my son as a sacrifice, a payment for your sin so you can be forgiven. So you can be free from the guilt and so you could be saved from the wrath that is to come. But you've got to come to Him on His terms. You've got to surrender your life. You've got to make Jesus the, the Lord and the Master and the King of who you are. You can't just tack on Jesus to who you are. No, you've got to, you've got to place yourself under His authority. That's the problem people have with the Gospel. They want to be in control of their own destiny. And I don't want to surrender and submit to this Jesus. But that's the only way. It's not my opinion. I didn't come up with this. It's straight from this book, folks. Jesus himself said, I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father unless he comes through me. 